Hello, and welcome to the Ever Widening Circles podcast, designed to give you more joy, less fear, and no end to the evidence that a brighter future is possible. This podcast will give you a fresh perspective on the world around you. We want you to hear from thought leaders in a wave of progress well underway around the globe that we're calling the Conspiracy of Goodness. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, we've been changing the negative dialogue about our times by celebrating the insight and innovations that prove it is still an amazing world. And along the way, we've been having incredible conversations with thought leaders that we are now sharing with you. Today, I'm going to chat with Mark Redman, a thought leader in his 39th year of helping kids from very tough circumstances succeed despite the odds. Mark and I have recently become friends, and after I dove into just one story from the manuscript of his upcoming book, I knew Mark had a remarkable kind of light to share with us in these troubling times. Mark, welcome. Hi, Linda. It's great to talk to you today. I'm so delighted that we're finally here sitting together. You and I come screeching into every parking lot, every room, every meeting that we ever go to, don't we? (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's the way it is with people like you and me. It's true. It's true. We've been two ships passing. Uh, I love to have my guests introduce themselves. So tell us a little about yourself and your work so people can understand where we're starting from. And then I'm going to have you share all kinds of reasons to be hopeful with us. Sounds great. So my name is Mark Redman, as you said, and I live in Essex, Vermont, not very far from where you live. My wife and I moved up here almost 18 years ago because I was named the executive director of Spectrum Youth and Family Services. So Spectrum is a nonprofit based in Burlington, although we're doing more and more work up in your part of Vermont. And Spectrum's been around for, this is our 50th anniversary, and I heard there was an opening. They were looking for an executive director, so I applied and we got it. It was minus 33 degrees the day we moved up here. Our four-month-old son cried the whole way up, but we love it here. We just love it here. My son's a senior at Essex High School. My wife's actually running for re-election to the Vermont State Legislature, Ah. and she's a professional journalist and a professor by profession. So I've worked at Spectrum for 18 years, and we help, you're right, young people in very difficult circumstances. They could be literally homeless, living on the streets, or living in a parking garage or in the woods. Could be runaways, kids suffering from addiction, kids suffering from mental illness, kids who are in the foster care system or leaving the foster care system, kids leaving the children's mental health system, kids who've been involved with gangs, kids who have dropped out of high school, unemployed. So it's really young people who are struggling who are on the margins. And that's who Spectrum works with. And I've been here 18 years, but I've done this kind of work for 39 years. Wow. I uh, actually have a degree. I have a degree in business. Can you believe that? (laughs) I have a degree in business. And I actually. (laughs) Right. I, you know, I think that that is a trend I'm noticing among the thought leaders in the world that I've been interviewing now for six years is that um, some of the very best are outsiders. It's true. Yeah. They bring an entirely new perspective to intractable problems that probably needed to grow from sparks. Exactly. And, you know, I just want people to know that, you know, 
at least I learned in your book that, you know, you went from, you've made some choices to do this. This is a calling for you. This isn't just something you stumbled upon. You were living in an apartment on Park Avenue. And then before you knew it, you're living across from a crack house. Tell me about that. Yeah, right. I was, I had, I had a job on Madison Avenue in a closet full of suits. And I had this studio apartment on 62nd Street and Park Avenue with a, with a little balcony there. I'd have parties and barbecues and stuff and walk down to Madison <laughs> Avenue. And then a friend of mine was volunteering. No, she had a job at a shelter for homeless teenagers called Covenant House, which is still there in Times mm-hmm. Square. Yeah. She said, yeah, we're looking for volunteers. So I thought, oh, I can do that, you know, one night a week. So back then, Times Square was very, very dangerous place. As my brother said recently, I used to run through Times Square in the mm. 80s. And it was the center of prostitution and pornography and drug dealing and violence. It was a terrible place. And I would scoot over there, run through to there one night a week and hand out brownies and play basketball with kids and I don't know. It started as a volunteer thing. And then I heard they had a program there where you could live there and work there full time and get $12 a week. And I remember going back to my Madison (laughs) Avenue job and I was in some meeting with the senior vice president with a group of us. And he said, you know, we're I forget the numbers. I can invent numbers. We're now at, you know, 30 billion in assets. And our goal is to get to 40 billion in assets by the end of the decade. And that's what you all have to devote yourself. That's the goal that all of you should be moving towards. And I remember sitting there thinking, that's not my goal. That's I'm not saying that's a bad goal or it's wrong or it's evil. I'm just saying that's not what I want to devote my life to. So much to my family's chagrin, I quit my job. I gave up the fancy apartment. I gave all the suits to Goodwill. Somebody got my car. It might have been my brother. And I literally went from on a Friday walking down to Madison Avenue on a Monday, jeans and sneakers, working, you know, among crack houses and porn places and working with homeless kids and making $12 a week. And I never looked back. That was 39 years ago. I'm still at it. (laughs) I think people think it's a phase. They're still waiting for me to grow out of. Come come to your senses, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I, I'm going to skip about three questions ahead that I had for you because you just opened a door of possibility for a whole bunch of people, I'm sure. Mm. So what I've noticed, I wrote a book during the beginning of the pandemic, April, May, June, and published on September 1st called Happiness is an Option. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people are constantly talking to me about now as this thing is making its way through media interviews relates to the story you just told. So I've noticed that mm-hmm. the pandemic has given us all a moment to pause. You know, we were on these treadmills and going, 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 and and the pandemic has given us an opportunity to decide what we're going to give our attention to. And that seems to be the story you just told, that you you were in a meeting and someone was saying, here's what you're going to give all your attention to. And you said, no, yeah, (laughs) no, I'm not. So tell me about this. We could. okay. so, Mark, you and I could spend the next 40 minutes talking about examples of doom and gloom from your world of the last 39 years, which are super important things to know. But I think we've got this opportunity 
to hear about the world you see is possible because you wouldn't have given gotten up every single morning of those 39 years, jumped out of bed and kept at it unless you saw much, much, much reason to hope. Yeah, I think I know you're right. I know you're right. I mean, the work that we do is tough. People ask me all the time, wow, how do you get up every day and how do you not get depressed? And there are bad things that happen. You know, I mean, I've, I, there's a long list of kids I know. It's really sad. have committed suicide or are still in prison. I had a staff member get killed by a kid. You know, a 19-year-old boy high in crack cocaine stabbed one of my staff to death. And I had to go up and identify that. I had another staff member shot and killed by a police officer. You know, and I had to ID the body. I have 12 stitches in my face from an incident. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's rough. Mm-hmm. But I'll okay. tell you, every day I get up and I can't wait to get it to work. I can't because even despite all that, I, I see tremendous, you know, I get emails and letters all the time from young people, you know. That is just the essence of it, right? Is that that the people who have found their calling or are contributing to a calling that is deep in their heart, like uh, are are seeing reason to keep going. And that's not getting talked about enough in the dialogue of our times. It's just not. So here we are and let's go for it. What I would love you to start with, Mark, is the Mm -hmm. story that is the reason why we're sitting here chatting that opening story in your manuscript, because there's so much about that story. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So that's a young woman who would come to spectrum I think she was from your area, that part of Vermont. And she showed up one night, I think in the middle of the night. I didn't have anywhere to go, anywhere to live. So we took her in, and she did really well. She was super motivated, you know. She, she right from the beginning, I want to go back to school. I want to go to college. I want to get my degree, you know. And she lived with us for about a year and a half. And then she came over, and she got into college. Remember, she had an iPhone showing me pictures of her dorm room, you know. And she made it through. She made it mostly through. And then she left Spectrum, and then she I saw her on Facebook. If the kid has left Spectrum, then I'll feel free to friend them on Facebook, whatever. So anyway, I saw she was in school somewhere in college, and she had put on Facebook, hey, I'm having car problems, you know, anybody recommend? So I wrote down, you know, oh, go to Girlington Garage. They're great. Use my name, new Spectrum name. So I didn't think anything about it. A few days later, my phone rings. I'm off that day. It's like New Year's Day or New Year's Eve day. and I knew it was her and I picked up and I said, what's going on? She said, well, I went to that garage and, you know, my car won't pass inspection and I need that car to start my new job, my new full-time job next week. If I don't have the car, I can't start the job. I said, whoa, 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 what do you mean, what do you mean full-time job? I thought you're in college. What happened to college? She said, oh, I'm taking 18 credits in college and a full-time job. And I'm thinking, man, I never had to do that, you know? My parents paid my tuition. I think I worked five hours a week at some, I don't know what I did. <laughs> so I said, all right, you want what you want my advice? I said, I am going to call this garage and I'm going to tell them to replace your tires and your struts and to send the bill to me. Okay. Spectrum will pay for this. So she said, that's, I, I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking for your advice. I said, well, that is my advice. Take it or leave it. So she said, why are you doing this? I said, listen, do you remember the time Warren Buffett's sister gave us a quarter million dollars to start a new house for homeless kids? And every reporter in town wanted to speak to a Spectrum youth. You were the one who did it. Do you remember the time all those women from the clothes exchange raised all this money for Spectrum and they wanted some youth to come and speak at their event? 
You did it. Senator Leahy showed up unannounced at our drop-in center. We were looking for a young, you were the one who volunteered. So you helped us out all those times. But you know what? I said to her, even if you hadn't done those things, I would be doing this. And she said, why? And I said, because you're family to us. And this is what family does. Family helps each other out over the rough parts in life. So I said, I'm going to go. Oh, I said one last thing. If I do this, you have to do something for me. So she sounded nervous. She was like, well, what is it? I said, when do you think you're graduating from college? She said, not this May, but the next May. I said, I need to be guaranteed a ticket to that graduation if I do this for you. So she left and she said, okay, it's a deal. So anyway, I said, I'm hanging up and I'm emailing Girlington Garage. So my wife's sitting next to me and she's crying her eyes out. So I said, why are you crying? She said, because you and I, when we were like 21 or 22, we had 50 people who we could call parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, friends with money. These kids have nobody. They have nobody. They have you and your coworkers at Spectrum. You really are their family. So I said, I guess we are. I guess we are. And, you know, a couple. I'm still in touch with that young woman. She got her car fixed. She took her 18 credits. She graduated on time. And now she has a job as a social worker. And she's helping people in Vermont. So you're right. It's a great. It's why I started my book off with that story. Because it really encapsulates so much about what we do at Spectrum and how I approach the work that we do in my own life. It's also representative of the way we can impact the lives of others every day, all day long. It's these little turns of serendipity that offer us the opportunity to improve the lives of others. And then what we're paying attention to determines what happens next, right? It's really true. And it also shows how for kids like this who don't have kind of the the family underneath them, the smallest thing can derail years and years of work. A couple of tires could have derailed everything that she worked for, you know, (sighs) and undone so much of the progress. And how so often the life, it's something small. We don't always have to do a big, you know, I'm going to pay for your four years of college. It can be something small that will then build and build and build and build and lead to a life of of success and and happiness. That is just, and that is something I got, I'm writing as I'm talking because I don't want to forget some thoughts. That's something I've noticed with thought leaders like you too, Mark, is that you're not only invested in what you're doing because you think you can help make a bunch of touchdowns for people. Right. right. So I, you know, you're okay with giving people a play for their playbook, right? You're okay with helping them gain a yard. Yes. And I think that that what's happening in the media now and with the sense of overwhelming negativity that we all are exposed to in social media and the news is that it all looks so big that we don't do anything, that we just kind of paralyzed with fear or are overwhelmed and apathetic. But you're seeing and pointing to the fact that the smallest things can turn somebody's life in a new direction. And we're all capable of that, right? It's really true. You know, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And you're right. It's easy to get paralyzed. So people ask me, what can I do? And I'm like, you know what you want to do? Spectrum has a mentoring program. We we match adults with at-risk kids, you know? And so take a kid fishing or take them to the movies, you know? Or, you know, spend an hour together playing chess. Whatever it is, interest they have. 
and I've seen so many. It starts very simple. I'm like one hour a week. That's all. That's all we're asking. But that one hour a week can lead to so many great things. But you have to start, right? That should be yes. the title of your next book or my next book. You have to start. You have to start. If you don't start, nothing. If you start, you don't know where, what wonderful things are going to multiply. But you have to start somewhere, right? Oh, I am so you just made it. Me, I've got that book all teed up. It's going to the publishers on, on October 26th. Go for <laughs> okay. it. Okay. Hey, everyone. Dr. Linda here. I wanted to let you know that we just released my book, Happiness is an Option. In the book, I share insights you can use immediately to thrive in the era of the internet. Life is too short. What we are seeing on the internet, social media, and the news is only a slice of reality. But there are four simple shifts you can make to start seeing the rest of the story. And that story can send you soaring every day. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or by going to the website for the book, happieroption.com. So thanks so much for supporting us this way too. Now, you know, that brings something that many, many thought leaders ago, somebody taught me was the power of one caring adult. Talk to me about the, maybe tell us some, some good stories about the power of one caring adult in someone's life. Yeah, I mean, I've seen examples of that so many times. You know, there's a man who's a mentor to a young boy at Spectrum. And this boy, I think he was 14 and single mom, you know, living in poverty, trying to raise her son. The kid's cutting school and he's getting in trouble. She called us and we found a man, you know, he worked for IBM, volunteer fireman, just a nice guy, salt of the earth guy. And wow, he is stuck. We asked for one year commitment. I tell you, I lure people in, you know, and he's now with this boy. It's got to be eight or nine years, you know, and he helped the kid through all kinds of bumps, all kinds of troubles. The guy never gave up on him, you know, took him to Fenway to go to baseball games. And the kid managed to graduate from high school. He's got a really good job. He's I think he's got his own house now, you know, wow. and. That was, it was, it's the mentor. The mentor would say, no, 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 it wasn't just me, but it was him. It was him. And yeah, it was other people too. But he took this kid under his wing, you know. My wife became a mentor. We took, we became a volunteer host family for a Somali family in 2004. So 16 years ago, met him at the airport, single mother with five kids, ages one, three, five, seven, and nine. And they lived with us for a week. The father uh, stayed back in Africa at the last minute. He didn't come with the family. So they lived with us for a week. And as they left, my wife said, you better find mentors for those five kids. Can you, a mother doesn't know the language, doesn't even know a written language, new culture coming to America. This is going to be unbelievable. So she said, see if you can find mentors. I said, that's a great idea, honey. Why don't we start with you? So she became the mentor to the nine-year-old girl. And it was supposed to be one year, but Mary Beth stuck with Medina to this day. We got it. We FaceTimed with her the other day and she was there at Medina's middle school graduation, high school graduation. We helped her through the college application process. And then we went to her college graduation a year and a half ago at the University of Vermont. She graduated the bachelor's degree from the University of Vermont. My wife threw a wedding shower for her. She got married. Then my wife threw the baby shower for her, you know. And again, I don't want to say it was all Mary Beth, but let me tell you, 
having that that one adult. And then we find mentors for all the other kids. And the next girl, friend of ours mentors her. She is now on a full scholarship at Champlain College and a pre-law degree. She's a sophomore. Oh, my god! You know. I'm, I'm sitting here. Head, I'm literally sitting here with goosebumps, Mark. Yeah, it's an amazing, you know, it's been varied success. I'm not going to say every single kid has knocked the ball out of the park like that, but the mentors have made a huge difference. And again, it's it's not a big time suck. It's not, you know, leaving your career or leaving your home. It's saying for one hour a week, I'm going to do something and connect with this young person and pay attention to, the, to what they need. Now, you're, we're talking specifically about Youth Spectrum in your experience with this particular organization, but I'm assuming, no matter because this podcast is global, I'm assuming that people wouldn't, wouldn't have to look very long, hard to find an organization like yours in almost every community, at least in the United States. There are variations of what we do. You know, there really are. And if, say, if you want to say, hey, man, that sounds great to be a mentor. I'm, I know there's a national, if you Google mentoring for USA, they would put you in touch. And there's Mentor Vermont, Is this, that's the Vermont. So I believe there's a, you know, if mentoring's what you want to do, you know, how you want to help. You know, another way, we have a drop-in center here in Burlington. And kids can come in, get a free hot meal, change your clothes, take a shower, do their laundry. You know, we'll help them look for work on the computers. But people cook. I love people say, how can I help them? Like, you know what these kids love? Because I do it once a month. Somebody to come in and cook a nice meal, you know? So I mean, what did I make? Chicken, coconut curry chicken two weeks ago. They're still talking about it, you know? Oh, come on. So that's exactly why I knew you and I needed to talk because I'm hearing from people, you know, what are we supposed to do when we, okay, so there's a little background here I'll share with you. So my book published on September 1st, and it is literally what to do next in this era of the internet. How can we still survive and thrive? And what happened nine days later was Pearson serendipity. Netflix published an enormously important documentary called The Social Dilemma, where they sit and interview all the the inventors of the internet, essentially the person who invented the like button on Facebook, the person who made infinite scroll, the person who invented the algorithm that serves us the next YouTube video. So, Oh, of course, all these people do not work for these companies anymore, and, and most of them are horribly sad about what happened to their good work and their good intention. And that's what that it's clear to see. They all had good intention of connecting us better and getting us information better, and now it's gone horribly wrong. So in my work, one thing leads to another. I'm sure that's true of yours too. But what I'm seeing is is that people are making these real nice stands. They're getting off social media and they've got all this free time. I get questions like this from the media all the time. So if we're going to pull the plug on our social media life for a while because it's so negative, yeah. what what can we do with our time? And I think you're telling us that there's no end to the things people could do, even with an hour or two of their time every week to make the world a better place help others, and probably give them themselves a boost in their humanity like they might never have imagined. It's really true. Yeah. We're just one small organization in a small state, but there's so much need in this. You know, there's so many places looking for people to help. The other thing we did, this is funny. We're going to try and do this in St. Albans. <laughs> so like anybody else, we rely on donations to a big degree. You know? right. So I've got to raise, we have to raise like a couple of million dollars every year to keep everything going. You know? So uh, what was it? 
2011, I think I saw, you know, we had tried bike rides. We had tried, you know, a fun run. These things didn't raise much money. They're a ton of work. And then one day I saw on Facebook, of all places, that Covenant House where I used to work had this sleep out. They had these business leaders sleeping out in the cold and the snow and raising money. So I hit the share tab, sent it to my staff. So what do you think? Should we? They was like, yeah, let's try it. You never know. Maybe we'll get you know, a couple of people to sleep outdoors. They said, we'll do it in the spring. I was like, nah, we'll do it in the winter. And then they said, yeah, we'll let people, they'll bring tents. I said, nah, they won't bring tents. The homeless kids I know do not have nice North Face tents to sleep in, you know? So uh, anyway, they begged me to have like a canopy, you know, like a case. They said, look, it can be snowing or raining in March in Vermont. You know, like even a homeless person would get out. I said, I'll allow the canopy, but no sides because I want the wind from the lake coming up there. Nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to freeze. So anyway, we started this thing thinking maybe we could get, you know, 12 business leaders. Well, we ended up with 44 and it raised like $90,000, which was, oh. we had never raised that kind of, never, you know, we were stuck and no cost. Most events, right. You have to buy the food. You got, this was no cost, you know? So anyway, the next year we thought, well, that was good. Let's try that again. So now we ended up with, I don't know, like a hundred people and it raised $150,000 and this is a great part. A young, a, a nine-year-old girl who lives up by you in Westford, her mom emails me. Didn't even know the woman. Said, hey, my daughter's nine. She heard about the sleep out thing. She wants to know if she can sleep out in her backyard, our backyard that same night. So I was like, sure. <laughs> Tell her, go ahead. A little nine-year-old girl <laughs> sleeps in her backyard this in the snow, the same night we're out there freezing, and does a GoFundMe dot com page and sends us a check for twelve hundred dollars <gasps> so after that a little light bulb went off well i turned to my son it was 10 and i said hey listen if the nine-year-old girl from westford can sleep out there, you get out there <laughs> so now we have hundreds of teenagers and kids all around vermont sleeping outdoors all around in the winter. Okay? In the Vermont winter. Let's yeah. be clear about this. This it's is the freezing. Vermont winter. It's freezing. One parent accused me of child abuse one year. I said, listen, <laughs> use common sense. Go inside if it's like minus, you know. But I mean, little league fields, high school football fields, church groups, a swim team, Boy Scout troops. Girl, I mean, all because this one kid, because that one, I never would have been smart enough to come up with this. The nine-year-old girl, and we nominated her for a fundraising award. And she has a college scholarship waiting for her if she wants to go to college next year on the award. But I mean, it was one little girl. I never would have had that idea, you know? Okay. So now this thing raises $350,000. I think the kids alone raise over 50000 And so we, you know, we're expanding in St. Albans and I want, I want to start a sleep out up in St. Albans, up in Taylor Park. So, okay. I'll and your, it relates I'll to our mission. One. Everybody says, "How? why is this thing so popular? I said, because it relates to our mission. We work with homeless kids, and we're asking the adults for one night out of their year. Every other night, you can sleep in your nice warm bed. One night of the year, sleep out there in the cold and the snow and see what it's like. Wow. Okay. I'm, you, I'm, Dr. Chuck and I are going to be your first two campers. You can sign us up. Love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm a wilderness canoe. We're wilderness canoe campers all our lives. We even oh, drug kids. 
Oh yeah. We took our kids in diapers in remote places. <laughs> You're in, hardcore. Even, You're hardcore. I'm hardcore. We, we would cut our toothbrushes and have to say, wait. <laughs> okay. So I have to, okay. So this is so inspiring because what I noticed right off when the pandemic hit was that there was a level of cleverness and ingenuity that people, we all, that started to get celebrated on, on social media, uh, the problems we all suddenly faced, people were coming up with the darndest things and they were sharing that, sharing that, sharing that. And so one of my premises in the book, I have four shifts that I tell people that they can easily make to open a new era. And one of them is to share signs of goodness and progress. So that's essentially what you're talking about that happened here is that People, enough people didn't just like the Facebook post about the sleep out. They shared it. That's true. That's true. Right. They just didn't look at it and say, oh, that's cool. But but you're right. That's the good part. I did see that documentary. It's very disturbing. Okay, it's disturbing in a way that I think we all needed to get sort of a grounding in fact And then the reason I think why it's so disturbing, Mark, I have to say that documentaries, when we really think about what they most often do is they, they tell us the story of how it is. They, they prove their point, but they don't give us a plan. And the human psyche can't watch something with a terrible, you know, with, with that much gravity (laughs) without having a plan on what to do next. So I'm being interviewed in big media markets now because just so happens by accident. That's what my book is about, is about what we do next. And one of the things that I talk about is that we've got to start sharing signs of goodness and progress because that's what matters to the media. They're paying critical attention to what we share. Mm. I could go on and on, but that attention, the internet is an attention economy. And so what we give our attention to grows. And I say, as discouraging as that sounds, actually, that sword cuts both ways. And we can give our, yeah, we can give our attention to groups like yours. We can give our attention to solving problems instead of griping about them or fighting about them. We can give our attention to what's possible instead of what's impossible. And that's what it looks like to me that you're doing. You're intentionally getting up every morning, knowing all the sadness and tragedy that you know, and you're being very intentional about giving your attention to possibility. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what I do and what we do at my organization, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also, I think we have a culture of like, it's not just, you know, you were doing great, you know, let's just rest on our laurels. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, we looked at we have a program where we match kids up with jobs, you know, and we get them jobs at all different fields, movie theaters, restaurants, wherever. And, you know, we looked at it, we thought, OK, we do we actually one of the best rates in the state of getting kids to stay in a job, but it still is not very good. So we came up with this idea. How can we improve? What if when I asked myself, why do so few kids make it in a job? They said it's all the soft skills. They don't know how to show up on time. They don't know how to speak to a boss. They don't know how to work as part of a team. They don't know how to call it sick. They just didn't grow up in families where these things were modeled. So they quit or get fired very quickly. So that's when I said, well, the few kids who do succeed, what's in the secret sauce there? He said, a boss who gets it, a boss who understands who these kids are. So that's when the light bulb went off. And again, it wasn't just me. It was a team of us saying, well, what if we're the boss? We do get who these kids are. Why don't we start a business where we're the boss? This is our area of expertise. 
So once we went that down that trajectory, we thought, okay, let's start a business. What kind of business? We had 26 different ideas, and we landed on car detailing. So we now are celebrating three years. We own our own business. It's a limited liability corporation. It's on Williston on Avenue C. Detail works. There are kids there right now who previously had been unemployed, you know, and they get there every morning and we have adult staff and they're detailing. It's a business. We charge. People pay, you know, and we that? more than double. <laughs> we track how long they stay employed there and then we track how long they stay employed past there. And we've more than doubled the rate. So, yeah, it's tremendously successful. And when I meet with the kids, I'm like, all right, I'm the big boss here. I throw out the adults. What's bad? And they universally say, you can make a mistake here. And they just don't fire. You know, you you can have problems. You can talk to the staff here. They understand us, you know. So, again, we're teaching them all these. It's the soft skills that they lack. They may not go in the automotive field the rest of their life, but they're going to go in some field. And we're giving them confidence and we're giving them those skills about showing up on time, about speaking to a customer, you know, how that all works. So, so tell, okay, I'm going to give you a chance to get a, give us all kinds of connection to this and people can find out all these connections in the show, show notes below. Yeah. Okay. So I have to circle back to something that I think is the through line to what you and I have just talked about, because we just have a few minutes before you have to go. But, you know, one of the things that caused ever-widening circles to create our education site, we have an education site at everwideningcirclesed.com, easily found ewc.com. I'm sorry, ewced.com. And what inspired us to do that, Mark, is something I hear going running right through what you're doing. There's this phrase, I need to learn who it was that said it, you can't be what you can't see. So what I'm hearing about from you about mentoring and soft skills and, you know, all these opportunities that we all have, teaching kids to cook, donating, creating opportunities for raising money. Really, it's all about teaching each other about what's possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So what your wife did in that circumstance was she showed that young girl something that she would have never otherwise seen. And I think that that's what you're saying. It's not a character flaw if kids grow up in tough places and they don't know to show up at work on time. They may have never seen that skill. It's true. It's true. But we're still going along through life treating disappointments that we have in each other as if they're character flaws. Right, right. And you're right. I like that saying, you can't be what you can't see. It's really true. I mean, it's sad. A lot of the kids we work with, they just haven't they just haven't been exposed to that. And, and and the detail works. They're exposed to people in all our programs. Adults who are caring, who are competent, responsible. They follow through. They actually, I say it to staff all the time. If you promise a young person something, you have to follow through because they're very used to adults letting them down. We can't let them down. They've been let down so many other times. If we say something, we have to we have to follow through. You know, you know, and it's easy to see that side of it. You know, if a young person hasn't seen anybody showing up for work on time, then they won't model it themselves. But what about the other way? And you explained that with the sleep out example. How many of us can't see uh, how, we can't be what we can't see. We can't be as generous or as kind as we might be because we haven't seen that other slice of life. Like sleeping out in the in the Vermont winter for me <laughs> when you soon will call me to do it. I'm not I'm pretty sure. 
that's going to allow me to see something and be something I couldn't have seen before. That's really true. It's going to open my heart. Yeah, we have people, write, and in fact, I included a few in my book. We have people write reflections at the end, what it meant to them. And it is so profound. It changes people. It's not just about raising money. It's changing their entire headset. You're right. Yeah. So I think that is a wonderful lightsaber that can go both ways too, is that we all acknowledge that we, that's where the sweet spot is in progress, is learning to see what the other one can teach us to see. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So tell me, as we approach the end of our conversation, and we're just going to have to get, we're just going to have to chat again because I didn't even get through half my questions. <laughs> we can do that. I'm game for that. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, I've marked exactly on my question list where we stop. But I want to close this conversation as you have to run on to another important thing. I want to close this conversation by you telling us, you know, where can people find you? And if they don't live in Vermont, what should they Google? to find somebody doing something similar to the good work you guys are doing. First, tell us how people can connect with your work and how they can help. Sure. So Spectrum, you know, we're at uh, 31 Element Avenue in Burlington, and then with www.spectrumvt.org. It's a very good website. I did not put it together. My staff did, but it really shows you what we're doing and who we are. So that would be the main way to connect. Okay. And if somebody lives in Kansas City or Lincoln, Illinois or Lexington, Kentucky, what should they Google? If you wanted to, if somebody is inspired by this conversation and they said, well, you know what? I want to find some way to help. What, would, what do you think the first thing they should Google to sort of start going in the right direction? I would go to is a group called National Network for Youth. Okay. And their website is NY and then whatever it is, but Google National Network for Youth. And then that should list like Spectrum is for Vermont. And you can put different states in there and cities, and then they'll hook you up with an organization like ours. Okay, perfect. Now, I always close these interviews by asking people to finish a little sentence. So our tagline for ever-widening circles is, it is still an amazing world. So if you had to finish that sentence, what, what makes you think it is still an amazing world? It is still an amazing world because there are so many people of decency who care about others, who are responsible citizens of our planet, who want things to be better for themselves and their families and the broader community, period. (laughs) That is so beautiful. Okay, so we all... Great one. Great question. I love that. I love me use that at my next staff meeting. (laughs) It's so true. What proves it's still an amazing world? We've got to decide to give our attention to that question every day. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm with I'm you. Gonna let, I'm going to let you go because you got to go help the world get back on track. Thank you so, so much, Mark. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Bye, Linda. So for future information about our guests' work or the subjects we mentioned, check out the show notes and the links below. And as always, dive into the ever-widening circles universe by visiting everwideningcircles.com. The quickest way to get there is ewc.co. And if there are students in your life, turn them on to that education website I mentioned, ewced.com. We've curated some of the most amazing awe and wonder in the world that will connect your students in your life to learning. And this is a place you can truly turn your kids loose with a peace of mind. So people always ask us, just as Mark Redmond said, How can they help? People ask me every day, how can they help? 
And the number one thing you can do to help our effort to change the negative dialogue about our times is to subscribe to our app. Our app for $1 a month is like having the antidote to the daily news right in the palm of your hand. And $1 will help us send a signal to content creators that people will support positive content. Our goal is to get a million subscribers in the next year, and that will fundamentally change the way content creators think about what they should produce for us. So I'd like to leave you with a few other big news kind of connections to goodness and progress. We just hosted the first Conspiracy of Goodness Summit, and it brought so much joy to people and really practical tips about finding goodness in our world that we've turned it into an online course about finding joy, even in the era of the internet. So you can learn about that course at cogsummit.com. That's C-O-G summit.com. That stands for the conspiracy of goodness. Okay. So the last thing I want to share with you is that I hope all these connections to goodness and progress carry you through the rest of the week and you start finding joy and wonder in what we've talked about and a million other places all around you. It's there. It is still an amazing world. For more information about our guests' work or the subjects we mentioned, check out the show notes for the links. And as always, dive into the ever-widening circles universe by visiting us at ewc.co. That's short for ever-widening circles, ewc.co. If there are students in your life, turn them loose on the education site that we have at ever-widening circles. You can find that at ewced.com. And subscribe to the ever-widening circles app. People are always asking me what they can do to help. This is the number one thing you can do to help our efforts. For less than a dollar a month, you will have the antidote to the daily news right in the palm of your hand with our app. And that $1 will help us send a signal to content creators that people will support positive content. And big news, (laughs) we will be hosting the first Conspiracy of Goodness Summit on October 4th. You can get tickets to that and be able to enjoy the recorded program thereafter at cogsummit.com. Cog is short for Conspiracy of Goodness. C-O-G Summit, S-U-M-M-I-T dot com. I hope all these connections to goodness and progress carry you through your week and you start finding all that joy and wonder we've been talking about. <laughs>